I'm ABC's Rick Klein, and we're here with Anthony Scaramucci, the former White House Communications Director. Let's jump right in. Anthony, thanks, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Great All right, to be here. Appreciate it. First question comes in from, Ant, uh, from Justin Fry. Do you believe Steve Bannon is behind the president's unwillingness to specifically name white supremacy in yesterday's events? How much influence does the white supremacy movement and Breitbart have over this president? Well, I, I, I don't necessarily believe that. I think the president is his own person. Uh, I think some people, uh, like if you read the, the book that was written, I think Josh Green's book, they're trying to interpret that the, the president is Steve Bannon's puppet. I don't believe that. The president is his own person, has his own individual idea. He's also a great media strategist, and so there's a lot of things that he's done in the media that people don't like, uh, but they've worked for him. Obviously, he won, and the guy's a winner, so I don't believe that. As it relates to Breitbart, or what I call Bannon-Bart, uh, I think some of the stuff that they talk about is very worthwhile. Uh, has to do with the middle class uh, movement, the lower middle class movement, that struggle, the economic desperation that's gone on. But the other stuff, the other nasty stuff that's on that uh, website, I think is disgusting. D does Bannon Bart, in your term, does that have an influence on in the president's thinking? Is that the concern? You know, I, I would say no. I, you know, I've talked to the president pretty candidly about that. I would say it has less of an influence than people think. Uh, but the fact that he's sitting there inside the White House uh, probably makes people uh, think that it has an influence. So I think that's a re reason enough to... Uh, to probably make some changes. And you told George a few minutes ago that you talked to President Trump in this past week. Did you talk to him about Steve Bannon? No, I think we just had a uh, candid conversation uh, about a lot of different things that went on. And, you know, listen, I'm personally accountable for some of the things that happened. Obviously, I said that to George. I'll say that for the rest of my life. But I also think that uh, there's things that the president's going to need on a going forward basis that's going to potentially help him. And so we had a candid discussion. Uh, next question in from Thais Austin. My question is, what do you think about Trump's handling of the Charlottesville situation? How would you have the White House respond? You were obviously uh, a little bit critical of that just a few minutes ago. Well, I, again, I, I don't really describe it as critical. I have a difference of opinion. I think what makes for a good White House staff is people that can express their opinion to the president. That doesn't mean the president has to take your opinion. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I've run, ran two reasonably the very successful organizations. you got to get people in the room that have differing opinions than you. Uh, Lincoln had a phenomenal line. He was asking for a vote on something. There were nine people against. There was one people for. And he said the, the eyes have it, meaning it was him. And <laughs> so at the end of the day, um, I would share my opinion with the president. Uh, since I'm not inside the White House now, I can't do that as intimately. George is asking me an honest question. I'll give you an honest answer. He needed to be way tougher with the white supremacists, a nonsensical thing. Anybody that has experienced any level of racism, any level of prejudice knows that this is disgusting. Uh, it's un-American, and it cannot be tolerated. You've been inside I applaud, those... I applaud General McMaster for calling it terrorism, because that's exactly what it is. But you've been inside the rooms with, with, with President Trump and others. How do you think this went down, that it came to this point where he went out there, he knew exactly what he was saying, and he, he ignored questions about white supremacy? I think the president has a counterintuitive strategy with the media. And so sometimes he says things that he knows is going to catch the average media elite's hair on fire. Uh, and so I think he likes doing that in some ways because it's... Uh, it, 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 it exposes the, in his opinion, and, and frankly, in my opinion, to a large extent, an element of media bias. And so, so my guess is, is that when he says all sides, he finds the white supremacy stuff 
reprehensible. But I think he has to hit that a little harder because if he hits it harder, the moderates and the independents, Rick, that want to support the president, want to help the president with his legislative agenda, I think they'll find that to be more favorable than this sort of micro Bannon bar group of people that I guess like that sort of nonsense. You, you told George that you're like Mr. Wolf from, from Pulp Fiction, the guy who fixes things. Yeah. Mr. Fix it, cleans things, cleans up messes. Well, I how do you clean I this up? I didn't necessarily fix it. I guess Roger Stone called me a suicide bomber. Well, but how do you so fix this? Get, how do you, you fix this? Get the chance this? really to fix it. Uh, fix what exactly? Fix, fix what he said yesterday. What, how does he come out today? You're inside. You tell him you have to say this, Mr. President. You know, he doesn't walk things back. He's not the kind of guy that walks things back. He's 71 years old. He has his own opinion of things. Um, I think that uh, the way these things get fixed is through actions. Uh, my experience with the president, I can tell you definitively, he's not a racist. He's not a sexist. He's a meritocrat. He believes in a meritocracy, and he likes having strong men and women around him and people of all colors and face around him. And so he's not a racist, but I think that uh, there's no need to go in that direction when you have this phenomenal legislative agenda that you're about to execute on behalf of the American people. And unfortunately, the way a democracy works, we got to get... 52, 51, you name the level of votes to get these things done, and it'll be better for him if he stays on side like that. Last point, he's the moral, he is the moral authority of the presidency, uh, and I think Harry Truman said it best, uh, the president is the president for all people, not just the people that voted for him, not his base, but really all Americans, and I think so coming out strongly, I don't see any negative coming out very strongly against white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I just don't see a negative in that. So uh, your, your phone call took place uh, before yesterday's uh, tragedy, but uh, Michael Motes asks, what took place with, during your call with the president? You didn't talk about that. So, listen, it's a private phone call. Uh, uh, George asked me if I'd spoken to the president. I have. Uh, I have a relationship with the president. Uh, like to continue my relationship. Uh, and I think one of the things that uh, I benefited from in my relationship with him over the years is that we can have a frank, honest discussion as long as we keep it discreet. So I have to continue to do that. So discretion actually uh, turns us toward this next topic. Uh, Kitty McCaffrey. We're not, we're not on a taped phone line. You see that? Uh, that's good. What I left out of my interview with George, I should have told him, look, this whole interview is off the record. I forgot to say that. <laughs> In that case. So Kitty McCaffrey asks, did you really believe that a witch hunt of leakers was going to fix the problem? Well, again, I think about it as a corporate CEO. And I think that uh, by declaring that I was going to fire the leakers and actually starting on that process and starting to dig out some of the really nefarious bad actors, I was hoping that it would set a reset of the culture. And so, so you weren't actually uh, going to fire necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, in, in, in my private meetings with the comms team, I basically said, listen, I'll take it down to me and Sarah Huckabee if I have to. I had the president's purview to do that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I didn't want to do that. I think that there needed to be more integration between the RNC people and the campaign people and to forge one team, it seemed like people were running around in different directions in there. And so culturally, that thing needed to be re-knitted. But I think as a corporate CEO, when you're involved in a restructuring, and I've done two successful mergers, you sort of have to lay the template out there. And so, but here's one thing I will say, very different being corporate CEO than being a political operative in Washington. The minute I said that, whatever knives were out for me prior to saying that, they got longer, Rick, and they got sharper. Mm -hmm. and so. You know, it's life. Did you actually talk to the FBI and, and DOJ about leaking? No, and I made that clear. I never, I never talked to them about it. Uh, I did have a conversation with Attorney General Sessions, not related to digital fingerprinting or anything like that, but he was putting out a press conference related to leaking, and him and I did talk about that, and we did talk about ways that leakers who are literally breaking the law. I'm not talking about gossip leaking right. coming from the West Wing, but I'm talking about, okay, 
This is a breach of our secrecy, and it's a national security issue, which is actually a felonious act. We were talking about ways that you could find that. And so here's the problem. I was having, in my mind, and this is where I'm at fault, and so I'm fully accountable for it, I was having an off-the-record conversation with somebody. Uh, if you look at the language and the syntax and the way I was expressing myself, any honest journalist with some level of integrity that wanted to build a relationship with me would have left all of those comments off the record. I think it was a deceitful thing. I'm very honest about that. Uh, I think the American people find it deceitful. There's a group of people in the media will say, well, you're a dummy. You should have known that he was taping you. You should have said off the record four times before the conversation started. All of that is true. But, and, and don't take too much offense to this, but you should be aware of it. One of the reasons why the American people dislike the media so much is they de- do the sort of nonsense to me, to other people. So, so question just in for we can We can debate it. I'm accountable for it. I lost my job over it, and it's time to move on. Catherine Sarah asks, I wish you could have fired the leaker, but it does bring you to, to that question. Were you essentially a leaker when couple, you talked to Ryan Lizza? A couple of leakers. Absolutely not. Everything that I said on that phone call was something that I had expressed directly to those people. Absolutely not. So you can't, you can't describe me as a leaker if I'm telling somebody right to their face. I think I coined the term front stabbing. Uh, I went right to the f- people's faces and told them what I thought they were doing. Ryan's previous, you told them directly that he's a paranoid schizophrenic? Uh, well, I did tell him that directly, and I also, you know, he also, you know, he knows that. He knows I feel that way. So you touched on this a little bit, uh, but a uh, question from uh, Hal Kubrick. Is there anything different you could do in your short and honorable time at the White House? What would that be? And leave aside the Liza, Liza interview, because I think you've made that clear. that You, you know, that I mean, there were two approaches I could have taken. I could have taken more of a political operatives approach, and I could have laid very low in the weeds and built out the team. Uh, in hindsight, I probably would have had more longevity. But if I'm really more than 11 days, yeah, more than 11 yeah. days, if, if, if but if I'm being realistic, there were two or three people that wanted me to have the job and there were probably 200 people that didn't want me to have the job. And so if you look at the math of that and you understand the internecine warfare of Washington, uh, I was sure I was likely to be a short term no matter what. So you became really famous really fast in, in all of this. What's different from the, the, the private versus the, the public persona? That's now known about well, I, you know, when you say I become really famous, I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't really feel, quote unquote, really famous. Uh, the parody you on SNL. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I thought that was funny. I mean, although Bill Hader could do a better job, he needs more hairspray, a tighter tie. <laughs> you know, Mario Cantone, a fellow Italian, he probably understands the uh, the struggle better. You know, <laughs> but but I was just saying to my cousin who who came in, took the ride with me. My cousin's been putting auto glass in as an auto glass installer for 31 years. He's got his own business. He's incredibly successful without a college education. Uh, the people that I want to have like me are those people. Okay, if the media elites don't like me or somebody on the left doesn't like me or there's a public Republican establishment person that doesn't like my operating style, I'm sort of very, very comfortable with that. I like, I like being myself and I like expressing myself in an honest, declarative way. And I'll take whatever the positives are or the negatives of that, Rick. So one last thing just to, to button up on, on the, the tragedy yesterday. Do you believe uh, that uh, David Ratcliffe asked, should, should Donald Trump attend the memorial service for the young woman who was, who was killed or at least send flowers, do something to demonstrate sympathy and support of no, her family? I, I, listen, I mean, this is the thing about the president. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of inside baseball. Uh, when I got to the White House, I was looking at the photography on the walls. If you walk into the yeah. West Wing, they always put these beautiful pictures up of the president and the vice president and some of the ceremonies that they've attended. 
And what I remarked to the White House photographer was there weren't enough private, there weren't enough intimate moments of the, of the American president. There weren't enough expressions of Donald J. Trump as I know him as a family person, uh, dedicated to uh, his friends. Uh, he's an incredibly hard worker. I thought the photography, if you will, was a little too staged. The woman said to me, well, that was sort of directionally what people were asking her to do. Uh, but she had worked in other administrations, and she made that photography a little bit more homey. And so I said, yeah, let's go with more homey. And so the reason I'm bringing this up, tying it to the yeah. sympathy in the memorial service, that is the president. The president is a heart-feeling, loving guy. Um, I'm sure he is distressed at the death that took place yesterday, as he is distressed about all the servicemen that have died uh, to represent our country. And listen, he goes over to Walter Reed a lot uh, to visit with our injured veterans. And so that's the sort of guy that I know, and that's the sort of guy that people here in New York know. This is a, this is a slightly different symbolic thing, though. Mm-hmm. To have a, this is not a, this yeah, is not well, a service. Well, well, again, I don't know what his schedule looks like. Yeah. If you're asking me if I was his comms director, would I have recommended something like that? Absolutely. But I don't know what his schedule is like, and I, I don't know where, where his time commitments are elsewhere. New question from Yvonne Smith. What is your opinion on the alt-right and its role in influencing the White House? Well, like I said, I mean, there are elements of the alt-right. I mean, people are not going to like me saying this. There are elements of the alt-right that I think have actually been quite beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Steve Bannon is a great speechwriter. Uh, I could hear a lot of Steve Bannon's words. White nationalism, white supremacy, all of this sort of nonsense. It's not really representative of America. It's not really re- representative of the American experiment or the ideals. It could be an America of yesteryear, but if you look at the constitutional principles that were laid out, we, we started the country with an original sin, an original stain of slavery. Women didn't have the right to vote. This has been one of the most forward-thinking, socially progressive societies in the world, and it's a beacon of hope for the rest of mankind. And so that nonsense uh, that's representative of, of the alt-right, I don't like at all. Is Steve Bannon the white nationalist, the white supremacist in your view? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've never sat down with Steve Bannon and said, hey, are you a white nationalist or a white supremacist? But I think the toleration of it by Steve Bannon is in- inexcusable. So you mentioned uh, in your interview with George the need for the president to get back to the agenda. And a question on that from uh, CT Yankee 7 If you could give Mitch McConnell one piece of advice on how to communicate with POTUS, what would it be? Well, listen, seen that feud listen I, I sort of feel, and again, I could be wrong, and maybe Senator McConnell will be mad at me for saying it this way, but there seems to have been a huge barrier to entry that was created by the political class for people like a Donald Trump, a Mark Zuckerberg, a Jeff Bezos. I mean, pick, pick uh, CEOs that are very successful from different political ideologies. There's a huge moat, huge barrier to entry of those people to enter Washington. As an example... I had to sell my company and liquidate my private asset that I built up over the 29 years of my career in order to serve as a public servant. Uh, That's a painful process, uh, and obviously people can, you know, chide me for doing that because I only lasted 11 days, but I love the country, and so I was willing to do that. You can like or dislike the president, but the president's leaving billions of dollars of opportunity costs on the table uh, entering public service. But what's happened here now is that the political class, and I don't believe in conspiracies, but I do believe that there's a collective thought from the political class saying, whoa, we don't want corporate CEOs and corporate billionaires and people that are not on the lobbyist gravy train entering our system. We don't like it. It's not good for us. Uh, It could knock us out of our jobs. Uh, uh, There were communications directors 
inside the establishment class that were railing on me day one right after my press conference. Why were they doing that? Well, they're doing that because, hey, God forbid I'm successful at that with no Washington establishment communications directorship experience that would expose them. And so I think what's going on in our society right now is that the political class, um, some of them on the right, Mm -hmm. some of them on the left, are rejecting the president. But I you think, think McConnell? It's a, it's a terrible, think I think McConnell, it's a terrible thing. You think Mitch McConnell was rejecting the president? He no. felt like he could to, to no, get no, it no. done. Please, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I guess so I said, but sure. Senator McConnell may take my words and, and not hear them the way I'm saying them. I don't think Senator McConnell's rejecting the president, but I do think that there is pressure in various constituencies to reject the president. I think I've known the senator for a long time. I've supported him. You'll find checks with my signature on them into his uh, campaign donations. I have a lot of respect for the senator. But I think what we have to do is put our swords down in terms of fighting with each other and subordinate ourselves to the agenda. Forget about the president for a second. Let's look at the agenda. And to me, the agenda has huge value for the American people. Uh, There's a tax release component. There's an infrastructure component. We have to reform and repair the current health care system. We have to work on, and the president's done a masterful job of this. He's bringing jobs back to the society, the Foxconn deal, many other deals. We have to work on that agenda for lower middle class families and middle class families. If we do that, whether you're on the left or the right, Rick, That'll be very, very successful. You know, I've often said to my even if it moves, he move, moving to the center for the president. Well, that's what I think he has to do. Yeah. I said that. I said that to George. Work Stephanopoulos. with Democrats. He's got to reach out to the moderates and the independents that actually genuinely like him. Uh, but when you're not condemning white supremacy, they have a general reluctancy to offer their support. You know, if he if he did that communication, his approval ratings go from wherever they are now, forty five percent or. You tell me the number, they'll go through 50. He's a very popular figure. He's a very good communicator. And uh, my, my guess is, is that we have to connect those dots. And I said that. My heartbreak is, is that whatever my shortcomings are and my failings, I wasn't able to achieve that goal for him. Okay, as we wrap up here, there's been a lot of questions that come in about your future. And yeah. uh, uh, we know you're back in the business world and yeah. back, back with that. Mm-hmm. Ro- Roseanne Cadu asks, what are your future plans? Do you think you can ever live down the days served in the White House and the events which followed? Are you going to write a book? Is there a star chart well, on I, SNL listen, that's possible? I, listen, I don't know. I mean, could I write a book? I could possibly write a book. It'll be an uplifting book. It'll be a positive book that helps people. Yeah. It's not going to be a, uh, a tell-all tale or something like that. I've had a lot of ups and downs in my career. When someone says I'm going to be able to live down this thing, I, I, of course I'm going to be able to live down it. You know, listen, I got through the financial crisis. Uh, I've been fired. From, uh, I was fired from Goldman Sachs, rehired. I've had a lot of ups and downs in my career. Entrepreneurs have to take on some level of risk to achieve success. And with that risk, there's incumbent volatility. And so I'm comfortable with the volatility of the situation. What I don't ever want to do is change myself or my personal identity for the sake of politics or anything else. I want to be a plain-spoken person. I made a mistake on that, uh, on, on that phone call. I owned it. I've accepted the consequences. And I'm looking forward to the next chapter of my life with a lot of optimism and a lot of uh, positive can-doism. Any chance you'd appear on Saturday Night Live? You mentioned the Bill Hader impersonation. I don't know. Get, get Lauren Michaels to call me, you know. I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah, look. <laughs> And, I'll bring my sunglasses for that. Yeah, wow, that's that, that, that's bringing it. And Dancing with the Stars. I know you you, you said you weren't gonna you weren't really a dancer, but we saw in one of your books you actually took dancing lessons at one point. I have taken dancing lessons. Any Italian kid that grew up on Long Island in the 1980s with Saturday Night Night Fever took dancing lessons. I went to a place called Dance Finesse. <laughs> 
I don't think I'm a great dancer, though. I have some level of self-awareness, but we'll see. Who knows? Dylan Harding asked one last question here. I, actually, not more, of a, more of a statement. I hope you run for, for president. I hope he runs for president. I hope I run for president. Yes. Wow, wow. Well, that's a very flattering thing to say, but I will tell you this. It's a tough job, uh, and uh, what we should do, I think all of us, is get behind the president. Let's see if we can help him, uh, because I think that's in the best interest of the country. All right. That's a flattering thing to say. Thank you. All right. Thanks to you, okay, Anthony great. Scaramucci. Great Appreciate it. You.